Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, we find ourselves in the uh, portion of the Gospel of John that is called the Farewell Discourse of Jesus. And uh, that Farewell Discourse is the longest uh, segment of teaching from Christ that we have in all of the New Testament. And so it's very, very important for us as we move into this section to understand this section. Now, just prior to it, we've seen how in John 13, 1 to 30, Jesus shows his disciples how they can and how they should love each other. And that he says they should do it with a foot washing kind of humble service. He turns then to say to them that uh, the news is that they need to hear is that he's leaving them and where he's going, they cannot come. And the disciples are deeply troubled by this news. In fact, the uh, scripture says they are alarmed by it. And so Jesus moves next to teach them how they can and how they should live after he is physically gone. And we find that in John 14, Jesus begins his uh, long, long discourse, his long farewell by issuing to them a command and then a call. His command is stop letting your hearts be troubled, John 14, 1. His call is this, believe in God. You believe in God, believe also in me. We said that in the original, it's keep on believing in God, keep on believing in me. And so in that way, he calls his disciples to trust and to keep trusting his father and to trust and keep trusting himself as well. And what Jesus is doing here is he's giving his disciples a way to endure. He's giving his disciples a way to overcome whatever trouble they may find and face in the future by showing them how to overcome the trouble they're facing now. In, in other words, and on the broadest level, what he's doing is he's showing them how to finish and to finish well the life that he is giving to them. Now today what we want to do is we want to explore this call of Jesus to replace trouble and fear with trust and faith. And we find that in John 14 verses 2, 3, and 4. And I invite you to join me there this morning. John chapter 14 verses 2, 3, and 4 where Jesus says, in my Father's house, these all familiar words, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Now, to anyone, even the most casual reader of this passage, it's clear that Jesus is speaking encouragement to these men, so troubled by his announcement. He declares here three things. There's a better place. He reveals that there's a greater purpose, and he makes a lasting promise. He declares a better place. He reveals that there is a greater purpose, 
and he makes a lasting promise. And these three elements are meant to give them the capacity to endure, are meant to give them the capacity to overcome, are meant to give them the capacity to finish and to finish well in their journey for and with him. And through it all, Jesus says, trust me, trust me. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. If believers get clear and confident about these three realities, if they trust the encouragement Christ gives, that's when they gain strength. That's when believers gain endurance, the endurance they need for any dark day. And this is how believers finish well and finish faithfully. So I want to look at them together with you this morning. Look with me, first of all, at the promise of a better place. The first part of Jesus' threefold encouragement is the promise of a better place. Look at verse 2, part A. Jesus says simply, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, I love this. Earlier in John 3, 31 to 32, Jesus says, uh, John says this about Jesus. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all, understands all things. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And that is exactly what we're seeing Jesus do in John 14 too. When he says, in my father's house are many rooms. Let me tell you what I've seen. Let me tell you what I've heard. Jesus bears witness to what he has seen when he comes to his father's house with this declaration. What he's doing is he's raising expectations and he's raising hopes. He's creating hope. Notice three things, the three things that Jesus does specifically here. First, there is, he says, a place where the father dwells. Secondly, he says, the place where the father dwells is a house. And this word in the original for house is, refers to a building where people dwell or a, people, uh, a building where people live. Of course, because God is spirit, the idea is not one of a physical building, but the idea is that the place where God is, is his heavenly abode. Uh, it is his home or that place we know is heaven. Finally, Jesus says in this simple phrase that the home where the father dwells has many spaces in it, many dwelling places that are available. Now, I want to pause just for a moment, lest we run through this too quickly. And I want us to consider how powerful the idea of home actually is for us. When we understand the, the power of the idea of home, we begin to understand the weight, the gravity of what Jesus is bearing testimony to and what he's actually saying. Homelessness, of course, is... Uh, devastating. It's devastating for adults. It's devastating for children. We see something of the power of home when we understand what happens when we don't have one. Children, for example, without a good sense of place where they're safe, where they're greatly loved, where they're accepted, have an inability they develop very quickly to actually attach to anyone or anything. The homeless adult always lives with a sense of rootlessness. But just what is this home that we need? Home isn't, of course, just a house, though we easily associate the two. How many of you uh, grew up in a home where your, your parents still live there? You, you are among those who are, who are blessed, particularly if you had good memories in that place. When I go home, 
uh, when I go to see my mother who lives in Winston, it is like going home for me. As soon as I walk in the door, there are memories. Do you, do you, all, know, do you all know what I mean? There are memories. There, I go into the kitchen. There are memories of meals. I go into the den. There are memories of Christmas. I go into my father's uh, a library, and, and there are memories of his counseling me and encouraging me and, and uh, of seeing him study and of seeing him pray and all those kinds of things. I go upstairs into that room that was my room, and I remember losing my temper and putting my fist through a wall. There are memories. This was, not, this was earlier, like 13. 13. There are memories there. Memories there. Memories there. I, I remember in that same room, getting on my knees and praying. I remember in that same room, meeting God. There's power in, in a place. So home is not necessarily a place, but we very easily and very often attach uh, a, 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 a physical place to the to the idea, but a house is is a is a true home where uh, for us everything fits, where things suit us. Your toothpaste is where it's supposed to be, and your clothes are right where they're supposed to be. It's a place where ideally we're uh, accepted. And, and we feel that we belong. It's a place where we don't have to put on a mask. It's a place where we don't have to adopt a role and still be loved. It, it is, in its, in its ideal sense, it is a place of rest, of well-being, of peace. It's a harbor. It's a refuge. And we all have a powerful longing and need for this kind of home. In so many ways, we're all looking for home. In so many ways, we're all trying to create home. Those of you who still have children at home, part of what you're driven to do is to create for them a sense of home, this kind of home. We all have this powerful longing. We all have this need for, for this home. But even for those of us who have good memories of home. The memories we have, if we think about it for very long, aren't perfect and they, they never fully meet our deepest needs. There's almost always, even when we've had a good experience of home, a sense of longing for something still more. So what Jesus is saying here is that God the Father has this very thing for his disciples, the home they've always wanted, uh, the, the home they've tried to build, the home they uh, could, could never quite make, quite find, or fully have, that that is what the Father has. And so what this means is of immense consequence. Jesus wants his disciples, he wants you and he wants me, if we belong to him, to imagine or, 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 or visualize ourselves there in the Father's house. Why? He's saying to his disciples that his father's house is the place rightly called home. And that for each and every one of them, this home is, is not a place for you, but it is rather the place for you. The idea is that the father is ready to share, and I love this, both himself and his place with them. And surely at the end of the day, the greatest gift God can give us is, is, is himself. And ultimately and finally, that is what Jesus is saying. And that is, he is, where he is, 
is for us home. This is the offer God makes to those who read this gospel or, and do what John hopes many will do. Remember, we said that the, the gospel of John was not originally intended for believers. It, it, it is a gospel tract, if you will. It's a long gospel tract, but it's a gospel tract. He says, I'm writing these things in John 20. He says, I'm writing these things so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And so this is the offer that, that God uh, makes to all the world. It is the offer of a home. It is the offer of himself. Do you, do you see why this matters and why Jesus takes pains to point out what he has witnessed and experienced? He's saying, look, 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 there's power for endurance. There's power to overcome trouble. There's power to finish well. A power that comes in knowing what you are going to is far better than what you're going through. There's power in knowing that what you are going to is far better than what you're going through. Jesus' testimony about his father's house means that believers can live saying, I can stand what I'm going through because I know where I'm going. I can stand what I'm going through because I know where I'm going. The second part of Jesus' encouragement comes with the revelation of a greater purpose. Look at verse 2b. Jesus uh, posits a question. He makes this statement, in my father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places. But then he makes this statement. He says, if it were not so, do you see it in verse 2? If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus explains why he's telling the disciples about the Father's house and at the same time, why he's leaving them. That, that, that fact that has them so very upset. In the Greek, the verse carries with it the meaning, I'm going for the purpose of preparing. Jesus offers this reasoning. If, if this house full of room weren't a reality, would I be telling you that I'm leaving you to prepare a place for you there? Of course not. But that's what I'm doing. Now, the word prepare carries with it the ideas of making or getting something ready. And, and if you look at this, it seems rather odd. All right, all right, let's look at it. Let's look at it. In my father's house are many rooms. All right. There's plenty of space. It's the father's. The father is perfect. His space must be perfect. There's not a shortage of, of a room of access to the house. That's all settled. So what's odd here is why, if this is the father's house, if it has plenty of rooms, if this is the father's home, why does Jesus have to go and prepare? There's something odd about that statement. And, and immediately we read it in a certain way, but you almost go, I must not be reading this right. I must not be, I must not be understanding this. Look, look at this again with me. Look at, with, look at this with me. What, what else needs to be done if this is the father's house and the father is perfect and his house is, I mean, what else? Look closely at what Jesus says though. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, notice what he isn't saying really here. He isn't saying, I'm going, 
And when I get to heaven, I'll prepare a place in it for you. But actually, he's saying that his going, watch now, his going is the way he will be preparing that place for them. The preparation is in the going. Stay with me. How does he do this? How does he go? How is he going? We see his going in this final leg of his first journey on earth. How does he go? He goes to a cross. How does he go? He goes through a resurrection. How does he go? He goes through an ascension. All of this going is what makes a place ready for us in God's house. Now, let's look at this more closely. This is important. This is what Christ's going to the cross does. His death makes a way for us to return to God and to our original home by taking away the sin that separated us from a holy God. Remember, at the beginning, Adam and Eve turned from God to be their own Lord. And do you remember what their punishment was? Do you remember what happened to them? Homelessness. They lost their home. They lost their access to God himself. So we have been literally homeless since Eden. If you want to understand why you and I have this longing for home, why you and I have this desire to create home where we are, why we work so hard, it is because of what we have already lost. So this is really, really important. Jesus is going, and in his going, he's preparing. And one of the ways in which he is preparing is by his death on the cross. He's repairing the homelessness. He's repairing the separation from God and from each other. Remember, they were cast out of Eden. They lost their home. Their direct relationship with him was ended. Their relationship with each other was tainted. And so selfishness and pride and sinfulness began to alienate Adam from Eve and, and Cain from Abel and on and on it is gone. So yes, the natural punishment for sin is separation, loneliness, and homelessness. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus says, I am going. And in my going, I'm going to prepare that place for you. When Jesus went to the cross, when he died, his going meant the ultimate alienation and separation. Do you remember the cross? And what it was that Christ cried out there from the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you, what, forsaken me? And it was there on the cross he was experiencing the ultimate alienation, the ultimate homelessness, the ultimate separation. He wasn't embraced by his father there. He was forsaken. So here's the picture. Jesus took the homelessness we deserve and the alienation that we brought on ourselves so that we could be given the home we were always meant to have and be brought into the relationship we were always meant to enjoy. So in a very real way, his preparing the place for us began by preparing us for the place. 
Now, we still die, of course, and this is hard. But the difference is that Jesus bore the full weight of sin, its death, and its separation for us. I love the story of Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of America's leading Bible teachers in the first half of the 20th century. Cancer took his wife, leaving him with three children all under the age of 12. And later the story was told that on the day of her funeral, Barnhouse and his family, his three little children, were driving to the service where along the way a large truck passed them causing a a noticeable shadow to cross their car. And turning to his oldest daughter, who was staring sadly out the window, Barnhouse asked the question, tell me, sweetheart, would you rather be run over by that truck or by its shadow? Would you rather be run over by that truck or by its shadow? And looking curiously at her father, she she replied, "By, by the shadow, I guess, It can't hurt you. And then speaking to all of his children, Barnhouse said, your mother hasn't been overridden by death. She's only been struck by the shadow of death. And that is nothing to fear. And this is true for all believers. Because Jesus was, if you'll allow me this, because Jesus was struck by the truck of death, as a result, we're merely only hit by its shadow. And we're only hit by that shadow as we make our way home. That's what Christ's going to the cross meant. But notice, too, what Christ going through a resurrection does. How it makes a way for us to have eternal life in transformed immortal bodies that can be forever with God in his house. Again, he was preparing a place for us by preparing us for that place. But notice, finally, what his going through an ascension does. His ascension makes God's perfect place ready for us in the most unusual way. How how does he do that? How does he make a perfect place ready for us? Well, he does it with his ascension, with his return to direct fellowship with his father in heaven. And when that happened, there was a restoration of the presence and communion of the triune God. Now, when you hear the word triune, all your brains want to shut down and you want to go, oh no, here we go with the Trinity. I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. I'm going to think about something else. What am I going to have for lunch? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do it just yet. Stay with me just for a minute. Don't, don't go there just yet. Don't be afraid of doctrine. Don't be afraid of theology. It's good for you. If it's good doctrine, it's good for you. If it's bad doctrine, it'll, it'll hurt you. But this is good doctrine. Now stay with me. All right. Have I got you back? Do I need to make you stand up? Do I need to make you talk to each other? Or can you stay with me? Can you stay with me? All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Stay with me. All right, watch this, watch this. When Jesus ascended, when he returned to the Father, there was a restoration of his presence there with the Father and and the Spirit and the communion that they had had for eternity. 
See, we, we Christians believe in a triune God who is love. We believe in one God who, in three persons from all eternity, have known and loved each other. Indeed, God is united, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in infinite mutual love. A constant exchange between the three persons in one God of love. So there's this mutual, holy, loving energy between them where they pour into one another uh, with unimaginable love, unimaginable love, and that love spills over. If you really want to understand why God created the heavens and the earth, it was because of this overflow of his love, to share his love. If you want to know why he sent his son, it was because of this overflow of love. So Jesus, in his return to his father, in, 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 in the most extraordinary way, prepares his father's place for us by restoring this triune fellowship of love, a love that spills over to all those who are there in that house. And this is ultimately what makes the father's heaven a home and, and the kind of home that it is, a, a home of overflowing love. And so what that means is, are you still with me? Are you still with me? Punch the person next to you. They need to listen to this. All right, good. Listen, heaven is not a place where God preaches to us. It's not a place where we perform for him. But heaven is a home where love permeates and, and saturates everyone who is there. It, it is a place where God receives us, where he embraces us. And it is there that joy multiplies. Everything fits. Acceptance is real. There's no role playing. There are no masks you need to wear in order to be loved anymore. There are no masks allowed in heaven, no roles to play in heaven. You go as you are dressed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus and you are embraced by the Father without a hesitation, reservation, and the embrace never ends. That's heaven. That's where we're going. That's the promise of God. That was such a polite uh, applause for God. <laughs> a great God, a mighty God. If you were at, uh, in Knoxville watching Tennessee play, you wouldn't have done that. If you were in Clemson watching the temple, I used to live in South Carolina. Believe you me, that's a religion. Some of you just got severely offended because I just attacked your idol. <laughs> See, with us demon deacons, we, we have good year, a good year and then bad decades. And so it's hard for us to have an idol down there at, at the center of Winston-Salem. You know, it's just, it's just hard for us. But that was a very polite applause for the great God of the universe. <laughs> That was much, much better for the great God of the universe. I want you to see how Jesus makes believers ready for our Father's place and how he makes the Father's place ready for believers. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but it's important for you to understand that. 
That's the place where we're going, and that's his purpose in being away. It's a greater purpose. See, the disciples thought, oh, it would be better. Life would be better if you would just stay with us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 actually, actually not. It will be better for you if I leave. Now, I'm going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will take care of you wherever you are. But it's actually going to be better for you if I leave because of the reason I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We can stand whatever life is placing on us so long as we remember that he's preparing great things for us. You have that clear in your mind. You will endure, you will overcome, and you will finish well. Well, finally, look with me at verse 3. Jesus encourages the disciples with the, mark, with the making of a lasting promise. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. So having borne witness to the Father's dwelling place as a large house that serves as a home, and having explained that he's leaving them and will be preparing them for their place and a place for them, Jesus moves finally to encourage the disciples with a series, really, of promises. He says that the purpose of his departure... The purpose for his departure means the certainty that after he goes and prepares a place, he will come again. The point of his departure is a guarantee of his return. The point of his departure is a guarantee of his return. Indeed, his departure will lead to a return and his return will, lead, it will result, in fact, in their departure. He's leaving so we can leave. He's leaving to prepare a place, come back, so we can leave with him. It's important to see. They can be sure that he will come again to take or gather or receive them so that they might be where he is forever in his presence. This is his lasting promise. The absence that replaces his presence will be but for a little while. And that means that there is a family reunion coming. This means that there's a great restoration coming. A new heaven and a new earth, the scripture tells us. This means that there's a final consummation coming where the salvation that he's begun in us and that he's working on right now in us will be brought to its fullest conclusion. What I think we often miss is that while the scripture says we shall see him and we shall be like him, which is a wonderful thing, and we've often said through the years how wonderful will it be to finally see ourselves at our very, very, very best, to see ourselves as God really meant for us to be. Not one of us, except the narcissists among us, not one of us thinks we've ever gotten close to that. We know there's something more. We know there's something better. We know we, we could be more. We know we could be better. We know we never are, and yet one day we will be we, we will see him and we will be like him. You always wanted your husband to be perfect. If he knows Jesus, one day you're gonna get to see that. You just won't be married to him anymore. You get the broken version. But 
there's something else here I want you to see, and that is this. God, God isn't going to be finished saving us until he's brought all of us together to be with him. The final expression of salvation will be that believers are not only restored to his presence, but eternally gathered uh, to, to, uh, uh, together. We will see him, we will be like him, we will be made whole, but we will also be set forever in a family relationship with others who are his in a place he calls home. We aren't whole until we're all together. Christ with us and us with Christ. And you and I with him. This promise of a lasting presence suggests that no matter what our troubles may try to do to us, we must always in the final analysis, final analysis remember that Jesus is coming for us. And this promise is a source of great strength. The first time Jesus came as a lowly baby. The second time he will come as the imperial king of the universe. And on that great and awesome day when the Lord Jesus comes again, what he will effectively do is speak a final be gone to every trouble that ever troubled you and me. The New Testament tells us that he will retrieve us, receive us, and glorify us. He will finish what he started. He'll make us perfect and pure. We waited for, uh, we, we are waited for and we are wanted. And one day, he will bring us home. And such of you, and I believe this is Jesus' intention here, makes all of our troubles small. And so, believer, in the midst of any trouble, we do well to remember that you and I are always on call. We ought to live ready to go at any time. Jesus says to his first disciples and to us, are you facing trouble? Look up, I'm coming. Through all of life, Jesus says again and again, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And he waits for us to say in response to him, in you, oh Lord, do I trust. You have a better place. You have a greater purpose. You have a lasting promise. I believe you. I trust you. So I ask you this morning, what trouble are you facing? Is it larger? Is it greater than the place Christ has for you? What trouble are you facing? Is it going to undo the purpose of God for you? What trouble are you facing? Can it overshadow the promise of his return for you? 
And the answer in each of those cases is no. And Jesus comes again and he says, I'm coming soon. I want you to be where I am in my father's house. And where I am, there is no trouble of any kind or description, none that can endure. And that means in all your troubles with him, you can. You can endure. With him, you can overcome. With him, you can finish well. For he is faithful. And he does not fail. Would you stand all across the room? So here we we are some of us in our time of greatest trouble. Here we are in the presence of Christ and we're looking together as this time of being in the word comes to a close. We're looking together at this better place and Jesus is saying, imagine it and trust me. We're looking at his greater purpose and Jesus is saying, receive it. Trust me. We're hearing his lasting promise and he's saying to us, rest in my promise and trust me. You see, loved ones, here's what I want you to grasp. This is where we lay all of this down. This is where we lay it down. This is where we trust him. This is where and this is how we finally come to the place where there is peace in the midst of the storm. And some of you this week, some of you this month, some of you this very year have faced and are facing one of the greatest challenges of your life. And and I'm asking you to hear the encouragement of Jesus and to gather that trouble up and lay it down at his feet. So I'm going to invite you to come. The altar is open. And simply kneel and say to him, Lord Jesus, I'm beginning to be able to imagine the home I've always wanted. And I'm beginning to be able to claim that you have just that for me. And uh, I'm starting to grasp the purpose of your being absent. And that creates an excitement for me about the promise attached that you're coming back for me. I hear you say, trust me. And I'm saying today, Lord, I, I trust you. Maybe yours is financial. I don't know. Maybe, maybe your faith has been shaken with doubt.
Maybe there's been a relational challenge for you. Maybe you're fearful about a health condition. I don't know. Maybe your life is riddled with sin and you've not been able to overcome it and you're feeling today defeated. This is where, this is where you lay it down. And as the band plays, I want to invite you to come. If, if you would like for someone to pray with you, I'm going to invite Bill to come and stand with me. Bill, would you come? And Mark, would you come and stand with me? We would love to pray with you. Perhaps for the first time, the gospel is making sense to you. And you're beginning to understand why Jesus came. And you don't have the story of giving your life to him to this very point. But here and now today, you would take that step and say, I'm ready to give my life to this Jesus and receive all he has to give. I'm ready to find home. I'm ready to acknowledge his purpose and I'm ready to believe his promise. I invite you to come as together we make room, we surrender, and we lay down our troubles at his feet. Would you come? I invite you. Slip out from where you are. Some are already making their way. Come. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kors. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.